If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn to Psalm 142. Uh, you will find it in the uh, hardback um, Bibles that are in the chairs. You'll find that on page 523. Psalm 142. This is the Word of God, and may He, may he be our help and our strength as we have this time in His Word for teaching and preaching and for the encouragement of God's truth, the Word of God here. A mascal of David, when he was in the cave, a prayer. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within, within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of, the, out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Uh, thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together, asking him to be with us. Let's pray. Father, we would ask now that you would take these... Uh, dark words here that are in print on these pages, and you would quicken those words, Lord, bringing them home to our hearts. In that regard, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Holy Spirit, guide us, correct us, uh, encourage us in that way to be edified and strengthened in heart and life and faith. Oh God, we're here for your glory. Oh God, we are here to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in discipleship. He's the one uh, who first said there beside the Sea of Galilee, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Lord God, that's our earnest request. That's our fervent desire uh, to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow in faith. Uh, so be with us now here in this passage, in this time of teaching. We do pray your blessing. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. Not all of us are tested in the exact same way. Tested to mean that, okay, we're walking with the Lord, but then we go through a hard time. We're not all tested about going through a hard time in the exact same way. And not all of us will experience in the exact same way a particular hardship, a particular time of anguish, a particular time of dread and fear. But I do think, as I was thinking this morning yet about this sermon, and introducing things to us. I do think there is one way that probably all of us in the room, we do have some measure sharing in what it is to go through a dark time or a time of anguish or a time of trial when you look back and you think of August 2017, Hurricane Harvey. Now, I don't know about you, but that was the very first time in my own life where I, I don't think I've ever experienced that sense of dread, that sense of helplessness. No question there is danger, no question there is fear that is bound, no question, as I've already said, helplessness. Uh, I've never been in other, some other form of a major sort of widespread catastrophe before in my life. That was my first time. And I know, like you, we had many sleepless nights and we would watch that water rise 
and rise a bit more. And we certainly wondered, and maybe more than wondered. But it's a reality, something that we, uh, we know about. King David is walking us through his own anguish in a time of desperation. If there's a theme this morning in our lesson today, if there's a theme from the passage today is, you know, how to take trouble to God. How do we go to God with our trouble? Let's take trouble to him. David indeed knows that anguish, knows that dread, that insecurity and that trouble with which he's faced. And so that's the lesson. How do we take this trouble and time of anguish to the living God? Three lessons this morning from the passage. God knows our path. God provides in the trouble. And then we're going to look at the God to whom we cry. Who is this God? Who knows our path? Who provides in our trouble? Who is he? The God to whom we cry is our last point. Let's take a look at the first one now. He knows our path. He knows our pathway. Look at verse 3 in this psalm. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. Now we could take that to mean that the Lord knows how he's in this place of desperation. That's to say, he just simply knows about this desperation and the pathway. But we could also take it in the sense that you simply know the pathway that I'm on, period. You know about my life. So either way is true. God knows us in that time of the fainting spell, the complaint David's bringing to the Lord. I'm in a desperate situation here. But also just the simplicity, the, the general way that he knows the pathway in which we walk. Now, verse 3 is going to give us a little bit more information here. It's a path where I walk, he says, and they've hidden a trap for me. This trap is likely some kind of violence that's planned. And oh, do we, do we know that this day, right? We can know that this day. You know, whether it be at uh, UNC, you know, University of North Carolina at Charlotte that happened, whether it be at this Jewish synagogue out in San Diego County, we certainly know, not far from us, Santa Fe, Texas, right? What, three, four years ago now? Maybe less than that. Um, the violence that's planned. David knows this matter of a trap that's being set here for him. We also get a little bit more information about this matter of his pathway, what the Lord knows about him. He's in a cave. We're told that because of the, the title in this psalm up above there, Maskell means a time for teaching or, or for lessons to learn. Maskell, lessons to learn of David when he was in the cave. Now, there are two times when David was in a cave. King David, he's in a cave. Anointed to be king, anointed to be the Lord's messenger, chosen to be the one to lead Israel, Old, Old Testament Israel. But two times, he's there either in the cave, two, two occasions. We don't know exactly which one. He's either in En Gedi. En Gedi uh, certainly reminds me of West Texas. Uh, especially uh, that south, uh, southeastern part of the Rockies. You go back out there to, you know, to the Fort Davis area or just north of I-10, north of the El Paso area. And you see both that deserty looking rock, all the sages around you, of course, but these ravines that are just shooting, of course, vertically going up, you know, going up to where the peaks are. But in these ravines, that reminds you of En Gedi. Out in Grants Pass, Oregon, where I used to pastor, we had a very large cavernous area off the side of our parking lot. We had purchased this property. 
We knew that that cavernous area needed to be plowed over, covered over, filled in with dirt, safety for our children, so on and so forth, expanding the parking lot. But all those months, I would refer to the caves of En Gedi out there. But that's where David might be. There are springs of water nearby, and that's where he's going to see these various uh, gazelle-like animals, the four, you know, four-legged animals. Uh, he, he longs for the pools of, you know, in Gedi, the, the, the places where he might have refreshment, but he's hiding probably in a cave maybe like in Gedi. And when he was there in the cave of En Gedi, that's when we know that Saul there approaches that same cave. David himself is like on a special ops, special ops tactic. He goes near to Saul there and he cuts off the hem of his garment. That happens in En Gedi. The second story about a cave is the cave of Adullam. And in the cave of Adullam, there's a special circumstance where David has departed there because indeed Saul is pursuing him to kill him, in fact. Of course, in Gedi's the same, but Adullam, we have a story about it. In 2 Samuel 22, we read these words, David therefore departed and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down to him. And everyone who was with him was in distress. And everyone was there who was in debt. And everyone who was there was discontented to be gathered to him. And so he became a captain over them, and there were about 400 men around him. Wow, can you imagine that? <laughs> Not only is he in the cave of Adullam to escape uh, the, you know, Saul's uh, treachery and all, but there are these 400 men that have gathered, presumably to help him, but they are, they are a hopeless and helpless lot themselves, right? Those who are in debt, you know, those who are distressed, those who are discontented, the, they're the ones who gathered about him. It's, it reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ in his own ministry. Remember when Jesus said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Just as David is being pursued, Jesus himself had times of his enemies, religious leader folk, who would pursue him, trying to nail him down, so to speak, trying to pin him down, you know, question him, doubt him, uh, to, to strike up fear or strike up you know, doubt and the fear, uh, fear in those who were following him, the crowds around him. There's insecurity all around. So even the Lord Jesus Christ knows something of what it means to be on a pathway where there is this sense of desperation. David is in this place of desperation. He's deep in insecurity. He's deep in worry. He's deep in trouble. And I believe the references, if we think about the cave of Adullam, with these 400 men who had gathered to him, discontented, dis distressed, and in debt, it's just to remind us there's no help in man. Help comes from God. And so, believer here this morning, you're trusting in Christ. Know it for sure. Though you are not free from trouble, your God knows you. Your God knows your pathway. Your God knows your pathway even when the violent, the man of violence, the circumstance of trouble and hardship has been, has been planned. Your God is with you. David is crying out to the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord, even with these, the, almost like these fainting spells, fainting of almost desperation. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the strong Baptist preacher uh, back in the 1800s, he has a few words here about David's spirit and this fainting. He was covered in a cloud, crushed with a load, conquered with impossibilities. Yes, 
David was a hero. Remember, he had just uh, taken down a giant. (laughs) And yet his spirit sank. He could smite a giant, but he could not keep himself up. David is in despair. So, friends of the Lord, congregation of God this morning, when you're overrun with pain, you're overrun and overwhelmed with sorrow, and insecurity abounds, what is going to be that rebar? That rebar placed there in the concrete, right? Why? It fortifies the concrete. You're in that concrete of the Lord Jesus. Your, Your feet are planted firm in Christ Jesus. The rebar in the concrete are the promises of God. The promises of God to to fortify and to strengthen your heart in the gospel. What will be that rebar in the concrete of truth? It's this, the Lord knows my footsteps. The Lord knows my path. And what does this mean? Here is breakthrough help for us. Help in the time of trouble is not up to me. David is going to the Lord. Though he be emotionally drained and panicked and anxious, though he's searching for answers, his life is not a puzzle for he himself to figure out. Please take it home with you this morning. His life is not a puzzle for him. God is the author. God is the Lord. God is the originator of those puzzling times, perplexing times in our lives. And, and, we, and we can cut through this desperation to follow the words of David here. With my voice, I cry to the Lord. I plead for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Brother and sister, today here at Good Shepherd, do not think to yourself that you will be spared of trouble and those hardships and tribulations. What's the difference maker here? What's the game changer here? We go to the Lord. He's the God who hears. He's the God who inclines his ear that he knows all about us. He knows all about the pathway we're currently on, but he knows about the pathway that we've been on in the past, the pathway yet to come. And you see, the undergirding for this is the doctrine that God knows you. His sovereign kindness and mercy to save you. And that salvation is yours by the election of God. He chooses those whom he will. His love is on you. His good pleasure finds finds favor. His good pleasure is to be bestowed upon you. That's why the apostle Paul will say, before the foundation of the world, God predestined his own children unto himself. That we might be adopted, not because of our works, Not because of our strength, not because of our religious background, not because of my propensity or my inclination to want to serve God and to be his child. It's not my inclination. It's not my propensity. The Bible is clear. We're dead in our sins and trespasses. And God is the one who comes to us. And he ministers his grace, that undergirding truth that God is ours because indeed he has first come to us to make us his very own. He knows us. He's with us in the pathway. Remember the hymn, let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear and resting on his goodness I lose my doubt and fear. Though by the path he leadeth me, but one step I see. 
His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Amen to that? that amen. Our God is with us. There's a second lesson here. He provides for us in trouble. He provides for us in trouble. Look at the, again at the very end of verse 3, uh, going on into verse 4. It, talked about this already, but there's this path where he walks and they've hidden a trap for me. Look at verse four. I look to the right and I see there's no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord, and I say, you are my refuge. You're my portion in the land of the living. Again, note this. You're a growing Christian. You love the Lord. You want, to, you want to walk in the commandments of God and follow Him and serve the Lord by following the Bible. That is your life. But then certain things happen. Uh, people at work get wind of your position on how you like to write certain contracts. The point is, my, I should strike the word certain, but how you write contracts. The point is, people get wind of your honesty. You're faithful in writing contracts at work. They get wind of that, but then persecution comes your way. Maybe you're at school. Maybe you're in the neighborhood and the topic of sexual purity comes up. You're longing, your heart is faithfulness to God. You're waiting for marriage. Here's another scene. You've had a long day at work. You've been churning in your heart over your finances. And you come home and your spouse there is at the door. She greets you. He greets you. And the point is there's an exchange of words, but there's fear all over your face. You've been churning away about your finances. And then that now sets the agenda for the evening. Again, you're wanting to walk with the Lord. Or maybe life is slipping by. The years are rolling on and you sense your weakness about your age. What are we getting at? In all of these cases... There's misunderstanding, there's testing, there are trials and hardships, there's that sense, I'm all alone. But remember what Psalm 147, 142 says here, I look to the right and see, there's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me, no one cares for my soul. David is getting at this question of provision. Who will provide for him? His thoughts have been wrapped all the way around the enemies that are around him. And he says, Lord, there's no one here, but you are with me. You are with me. We've seen that. He knows my pathway. He knows my life. You see, David has uttered those five words of great helplessness right here in the passage. No one cares for my soul. No man can help me. No creature here on this earth can help me. Only the living God, he's the one who can help me. That language in verse 4, that though David feels deserted, to look to the right, that language of looking to the right, he says, I look to the right and I see. The point is, he looks to the right is language that comes from the legal records about looking to the right of someone who's going to be an advocate. 
someone who can intervene for him. That's, and he's saying, there's no man who can intervene for me, but Lord, you can. You're the God of intervention. I look to my right and I see these men, these 400 men that have gathered around me, say like in the cave of Adullam. There's no one here to help me. But I look to the right and this right is this matter of there is an advocate. And he's acknowledging that indeed the Lord is with him. Look at verse 5. I cry to you, O Lord. And I say, you're my refuge. David knows that men will fail, but God will not. And this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know and we sense the trouble. We have that place of anguish and desperation. But Jesus Christ came. He took on flesh. And he's known as the advocate. We look to the right. Why look to the right? It's the right at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. We confess that as the church. Jesus Christ has ascended to glory. He's ascended to the Father's right hand. He's our advocate. Listen to the Apostle John in his letter. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. There's one at the right hand. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Jesus is the one who came into this world lived the perfect life for us. That's why he's the righteous advocate. And he went on to the cross at Calvary's cross to die for our sins. And his hands are pierced and his feet are pierced. He's the one to shed blood for us. He took upon himself the penalty due to us. The wages of sin is death. He endured death to suffer that penalty of death for us. The Bible goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life with our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life with our Lord. Here's another passage about Jesus being our advocate. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in that time of need. God is our refuge. God is the one who is our fortress, our strength, our deliverer. He provides himself in our time of trouble. David will go on to say that God is his portion. That is to say, God is his reward. God is the one that he's looking to, longing to be with, longing to know him as the deliverer. Yes, the earth has been given to the sons of men. Yes, the meek shall inherit the earth. And David knows that. He's Lord and King in that sense over Israel. He's the shepherd king to guide Israel. But David also is looking beyond his own shepherding role, knowing that there's a king to guide Israel to guide the Lord's people forever and ever. And he longs to be there in that land of the living, that life eternal, to be with the Lord himself. How about you this morning? If you know that you were to die today, if you were to die this very day, do you know for certain that you would go and be with the Lord Jesus Christ? that you would go to receive the Lord as that one who is your portion. 
to be in that place of the land of the living, the life eternal, to be with God himself. How do you know that? The Bible simply says, he who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? We receive him and we walk with him and we adore him and, and have him as our security by the gift of faith. And faith is simply that hand that is a gift that God gives. And we, and we reach to the Lord and say, Lord, I want that promise to be mine. That he who has the Son has the life. And God welcomes us to himself, indeed, our security in time of trouble. So he's the God who provides. David looks to the Lord, and he, God, is his portion. One last lesson here. How about this one to whom David cries? Who is this God? Who is this God that David cries to? Look at verses 6 and 7. Attend to my cry, for I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. For they are too strong for me. Verse 7, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. And then finally he concludes, the righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. What are we getting at here? Look at the lessons about who is this God? David is low, God delivers. David is in prison, probably the cave he's referring to. And God delivers. Persecutors, the violent, are all around him, and yet God delivers. He says, God, you will deal bountifully with me. This is the God to whom David will go. He cries out to this God. And the focus is, watch this now, the focus is on who he is. David is holding fast to God's faithfulness. David is holding fast to God's faithful word. Though he's in the shadow of death, he will fear no evil. Why? The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. He lives there saying, you are my refuge. I cry to you, O Lord, verse 5. The Lord is my refuge. We wait upon the same faithful God. Our God is unchanging. The Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is unchanging, though we change. High school students here this morning, though you go through change, he's the unchanging God. Those of us in places of work, though we go through change, he's the unchanging God. This is the God who is our refuge, faithful who he is. You see, we can summarize it this way. How do we take our trouble to God? Past, past acts of faithfulness give us confidence. Past acts of his faithfulness. Give us confidence. And so David continues to lift his soul to the Lord for help. There's the old Puritan. A couple quotes for you here now as we close. There's the old Puritan Richard Sibbs. He has some comments about this great Lord whom David served. Listen to this. Though a host of men should encompass me. He's speaking about David here. Though a host of men should encompass me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, I, in this I will be comforted. Here is the great courage for this time. What is it? Experience breeds hope and confidence. Past faithfulness breeds hope and confidence. 
Experience brings hope, uh, breeds hope and confidence. David was not so, so courageous a man of himself, but upon experience of God's former conduct and assistance, his faith broke out as a fire breaking out in smoke or as the sun breaking out of the clouds. Though I was in such and such perplexities, yet for the time to come, I have such confidence and experience of God's goodness that I will not fear. He that sees God by the spirit of faith, you see God by faith, in his greatness and power, he sees all other things as nothing. And therefore, David can say things like this, though there is an army around me, King Saul, if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans chapter 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? I also like what uh, Pastor Stephen Cole, when he, in another sermon, reflects upon Jonathan Edwards, one of Jonathan Edwards' sermons. It's the sermon called The Christian Pilgrim. Edwards wrote here in his sermon, listen to these words, a delight to the heart, thinking about who our God is. God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends, they are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God, he is the substance. These, that's to say, our relationships with others, these are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Therefore, it becomes us to spend this life only as a journey towards heaven, as it becomes to make us to be those who are seeking our highest end and our proper good, being the whole worker of our lives, to that which we subordinate all other concerns, and that is the person of God. God is the Lord who is great in his faithfulness. God is the Lord who accomplishes his ends, even in the midst of our heartaches, and we trust in him. David here is low, and God delivers. David's in that cave, and God delivers. Persecutors are all around. It says here, God will bountifully with me. His focus is on God. What is your affliction this morning? What is your trial today? Where does fear abound? Let us hold fast to our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus comes alongside of us. We learn in the book of Hebrews, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered prayers and supplications with loud cries. Prayers with loud cries and tears to him who's able to save him from death. Jesus knows our every weakness. But oh, he's mighty to save. Mighty overshadow. Mighty to lead us in the midst of trouble. Let's pray. Oh, our God, we would ask for your ways of hearing our cries and delivering us from faithlessness and that we would go to Christ Jesus in faith, taking our every trouble to him. You're our Lord. You're our God and friend. 
And so we now turn to you asking for your help. You order our lives, even this day, Father, or even this new week ahead of us. Be our God and our Lord and our King that we might bless your name forever and ever. You are the God to whom we cry. Great is your faithfulness. And we give you praise and we give you thanks in Jesus' holy name. Amen.